This is the Pushing Left Podcast, Episode 4, Andreas Lind. All right, so this is the Pushing Left Podcast, and this week we've got something very special. Hello, my name is Jim. My name is Daniel. Good to see you, Daniel. So what? Uh, tell us about what we have this week. Awesome. So uh, despite Twitter being a cesspool and, and uh, a horrible place to waste all of your time, I've actually connected with a number of uh, left-wing hackers and left-wing people on Twitter, which is great, uh, and connected with Andreas Lind, who's our guest today. Uh, and um, he is a hacker out of hailing from Sweden. Uh, and we're just going to talk about we're just going to talk about uh, all kinds of stuff: uh, foreign foreign policy, imperialism, the plague, the usual usual coffee conversations. Plus, some stuff about like just how, what it's like to be a tech worker in Sweden, and uh, how yes. Europe works a little bit. And uh, we're going to talk about unions, and there's all kinds of interesting nuggets in this interview. I feel like I think it was a, this was a really good one. So. So that is uh, what the show is about today. And uh, without further ado, I guess we should uh, probably get to the episode. Welcome to the show, Andreas Lind. Thank you. All right. Good to meet you. Um, So, Daniel, uh, why don't you kick us off with uh, what you wanted to sort of talk about with Andreas and um, sort of the high high level of, of what you wanted to talk about today. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I discovered you on Twitter. Um, I, I think probably off of uh, Joseph Corrette, uh, is his feed, um, but just general left uh, socialist hacker Twitter. And um, yeah, and I was, I'm always excited to hear the opinions of, of socialists and communists and anarchists around the world uh, of, of America, you know, I, I, the perspective on that. Um, so today specifically, I, I wanted to, to, you're involved with a group called Security Without Borders, I believe? Um, I was, uh, I am not uh, anymore. Uh, I helped start it. Um, it was me, uh, my good friend, Johan and uh, Claudio uh, Guarnieri, uh, who has done work with uh, the Citizen Lab. Uh, he's currently the tech responsible for some branch of Amnesty. Um, so we started, we actually didn't start as security without borders, but this was more generally me and my friend. We wanted to start hackers against racism, nice. uh, which which we did, and we quickly had a lot of volunteers. Uh, and so, uh, and we actually started helping mostly like NGOs that do work uh, like in that area here, and then. Uh, Claudio came in and he 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 basically got in touch and was like so I've had this idea uh, security borders but I I've, I've never been able to like get a lot of people involved so he was basically asking like sh- like could we do something uh, like could we maybe collaborate uh, and uh, then, uh, but we pretty much within that group decided that we'd rather just, you know, do the anti-racist work, but use the security without borders to like uh, expand the 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 people we could work with. Awesome. Uh, and after that, I was involved like for the startup phase and like all of that. And then other things in life needed my attention more. So I backed out for a while and then I never really got back in. Word. There's always 
so much other stuff too. Always, there always is. Uh, for our listeners, uh, just for the what's what the without borders. It and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Andres. But the without borders is a is a callback a call to um, Medicine San Frontiers, uh, yes. which is translated uh, uh, Doctors Without Borders. Um, it's a phenomenal organization. Uh, there are very very few organizations that I will unqualified refer to as heroic, and I think that's one of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we weren't that heroic, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I'd still like to think that we, we were able to help out. Yeah, no, no, no. I mean, I, that wasn't to cast you. Definitely. <laughs> no. oh. But yeah, I mean, what they, it's a whole, it's a Medicine San Frontiers is, is a uh, storied story organization and they literally go and die. They go to conflict zones all around the world and uh, this country, our, my country, America is responsible for the deaths of Doctors Without Borders in Afghanistan and Iraq. Uh, it's something that every anti-imperialist should be uh, aware of, and what they do. Um, so, and you know what has what they deal with. Uh, now, this is not to say, of course, that ours is the only country that's done this. It's happened repeatedly. It's what happens when you go to uh, conflict zones and you attempt to save and heal people. But so, I was really, I was really interested in that and in, in what you were what you were aiming for with that group. Um, so, Jim, you want to pop on? With yeah, that? sure. So, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. You, you're, you're from Sweden. You live in Sweden. Yep. Yeah. So, uh, what is it? What is it like to, you know, your your perceptions of what it's like to work in tech in Europe versus what it's like to work in, you know, technology in in the United States? Uh, I think. I mean, we don't have the startup culture uh, which exists to 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 a lot larger or to a bigger degree in the US at least that's my perception but maybe my perception is also shaped by like who I follow on social media and like everyone lives in San Francisco right and you know, I mean that's basically I know that that's 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 not what the US as a whole is, but uh, I think we, the tech, uh, we we do pretty much we follow in in the U.S. footsteps when it comes to that so development. So and sort of so like the, there the, are more and more startups here. So like the you know the U.S. will develop something and then it sort of replicated in in Europe a little bit. Uh, sometimes yeah, or like made uh, to fit. Um, yeah, I, I mean, more like the business model right. that is like currently popular in the U.S. will eventually get here too. Okay, interesting. That sucks for y'all. Sorry to hear that, brother. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I don't actually work for a Swedish company, so. Uh, but like Europe in in general is very U.S. centric, right? Interesting. So, like, do uh, wh- how how does that work with like the distribution of of workers in tech? Like, are there concentrations of 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 workers in Europe, like there are in like Silicon Valley or like on the East Coast or uh, you know things like that uh, in Europe, or is it mostly just they're all over the place? Uh, I think uh, there is definitely a constant like Google has an office in Zurich okay and that's basically the only place you as you need to go and live there if you're gonna work for Google in Zurich uh, and like uh, all the if you want to work for like one of the bigger tech firms here like if you want to work for Spotify or if you want to work for Microsoft or or something like that you 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 have to go to to stockholm like it's basically only the capitals that actually have like an interesting scene to choose from 
Sure. Uh, and this is uh, this is in 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 a large de- 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 degree to that, like the people that the tech companies cater to uh, are mostly located in 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 the capital. So if you work in security, for example, like there was a long time when it was when it wasn't like possible to live anywhere except Stockholm because that's where all the banks were and that's where all the government work was. Uh, that's gotten better now, which is which is nice. Yeah. I know I know Zurich, I believe Zurich, I may I may be talking out my ass again, but Zurich is where uh, ET ETZ is or ETH, the the um, the uh, really it's this I've heard it described as the MIT of Europe or something like that. They have a really uh, impressive uh, computer science program there, or informatics, as it's called, I guess. Um, hmm, I'm I'm not I'm not sure actually. Uh, I know that the the quantum hydron collider, you know, um, CERN. Yeah, exactly. That's that is in S- Switzerland too, but it's in. Burn, I think. Gotcha. Burn, right, right. So, are yes. So Please do, forgive my. Do 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 things uh, concentrate around universities, or like there's not like a sort of a natural like Silicon Valley that that has emerged. It's sort of the companies choosing where they want to have their workers, type of thing. Uh, a little bit more, it sounds like. Um, I'm not sure actually. Um, in Sweden, that is not the case, but it could be in, in Germany or the German-speaking lang- languages. But but they've had like computer science programs longer. Okay. So maybe that's that's a natural thing. And what is the employee-employer relationship like? You know, one of the things that, like, really surprised me when I first got my first job in the States after having worked in other countries was that they have this, like, you know, you are at an at-will employee and, like, for any reason we can fire you. But, like, the benefit of that, I guess, is that you can leave for any reason, you know, without any regard for the company, uh, is how they kind of try to sell it, which is a very like pro sounds like freedom. Yeah. sounds like freedom to me. Uh, it's sort of like a pretty pro employer, you know, policy to, for a country to have, or, you know, uh, so, so what, what is it like, uh, in Europe with, with sort of how the relationship balances between the two? Uh, well, I can only I can only go into detail uh, about what it's like here uh, in Sweden. Uh, I also know a little bit about Germany, uh, like labor laws there, because uh, I I currently work for a German company, okay. but that's like handled via a EU function. So, uh, like the Swedish labor laws are still fulfilled by my German em, 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 employer and they they have an interface for that but Interesting. Um, so um, I'm sh- sure you've heard about Sweden as like this socialist paradise or socialist <laughs> depending on who you depends on yes. who you listen to yeah <clears throat> yeah so uh, that's that's not you know true Sweden has never been a socialist country, but when I nice. grew up, yes. uh, it was a social democratic country, right. and, it, and it was that for a long time. The social mm-hmm. democratic party won the elections or gained majority or formed a coalition to get majority pretty much every election. So we had pretty pr- pretty good labor laws for a long time you can't fire someone at will uh, and you still can't but that's also been like uh, this whole thing is is like being picked apart constantly right. like 
partly because the right wing has gained popularity, but also because like the like neoliberalism isn't something that only happens in one place. Like it happens in uh, in right. West period. Yes. So that affects right. us too, and we're also moving to like we've had a lot of like um, we've had a lot of uh, of like laws that enable us to like if we think that our employer is treating us unfairly we can actually go on go on strike and there's nothing they they can do mm. and these laws are like really 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 are like getting torn apart now and uh, like there are negotiations about removing parts of it now uh, and um, in part, this is because we've actually had a lot of activity around that. Like we had a ha big harbor strike, which was like for six months here in Gothenburg, where I live. And like the harbor is owned by Maersk, which is one of the biggest mm, yes. shipping companies in the world. And they mm -hmm. were not happy. So, and of course, they can always go to go to the city and say, like, we're gonna move. Like, you have to put an end to this, or we or we're gonna move. And then the city takes it to 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 the state, and and I mean, then people start to actually going like, do we really need these laws? Are they good for for us? And like, of course, they are. But right. Like we're we 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 had uh, things used to be a lot better than they are, but there are also like a lot of pushback on 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 this. So it's still not like as bleak as it may sound. I mean, it's certainly not as bleak as it is here. That's for sure. No, no, uh, that that's true. There's so I wanted to add a little color here. I don't know. Stop me if you if you know this, um, but it's I find it fascinating, and I it, it completely didn't even occur to me until Jim asked that question. <clears throat> so, uh, in this in the last few years since Sanders ran, and even a little before it, but Sanders's run certainly um, uh, gave it a, a kickstart. Uh, socialist organizing and socialist parties in this country have seen uh especially democratic socialists of america have seen um a huge upsurge right and dsa is you know is approaching a hundred thousand members on paper and you know probably a very significant number of of people who go to meetings i've been to a few of their meetings uh i won't get into it i don't really care for some of the leadership but or not leadership but other people involved anyway they <laughs> Not to get into petty, stupid, uh, inter-socialist sniping. But one of the things, one of the fixtures of this nascent uh, neo-Marxist, you know, neo-socialist movement has been, at least from a part of it, uh, from Jacobin Magazine and from uh, Matt Brunig, which is, uh, he's got a think tank now, is this fixation with the Meidner plan. Uh, and... And the depiction of, of uh, I'm going to get this wrong, but it's it's social wage funds or wage earner funds. That's it. Okay, and social wealth funds. So like a sovereign wealth fund, but a social wealth fund. And I'm curious, you know, what you think about that. If you know anything about the Meidner plan, uh, what you think about social wealth fund? I was. Both Jim and I are willing very much so to engage in social democratic work, uh, in electoral work. I definitely uh, lean and sympathize more with uh, other forms of, of organizing and work. And I would prefer to see, you know, the means of production outside of parliamentary control. But I am happy and willing to, to work within that system and, and make sure that we achieve what gains we can until then. So just just this color so um, I mean uh, this is the first I've, I've I've heard of it but it sounds like something that we also have which was introduced in like the 1980s 
early 1980s, uh, um, which I think is um, is good. And I like I agree with you about the whole like uh, doing things outside of parliamentary control. But I mean, everyone still has to like be a little pragmatic. Yes. About like where we are and what's happening and how we can actually make things better for people in general right now. Like, but without losing sight of the longer term goal. Right. So uh, I think such such initiatives can be very good, but it's it's also important to keep track on like who is proposing them. And what's the actual reason for proposing them? Because it might not be what it sounds like. It might be to avoid doing something else. Or to put people at ease while they do something else. I I think the forces in this, I think like Jacobin and Bronick are very sincere and consider themselves some, I know they consider themselves some flavor of Marxist. I, I get what you're saying. Um, I think that they think that that you know whether you approach it from anarchist or Marxist perspectives, the idea of moving beyond uh, the current mode of production is not going to happen anytime soon, if at all, and that those those are relics of a 19th century kind of worldview. Uh, and I, you know, I think Brunig in particular, the reason I ask is because this is something they pound on a lot. Like they're very serious about this and it, I, I, I find it interesting and some of it's persuasive. I don't believe in social wealth funds. I, Jim and I have kind of gotten around the edges of this. I very much would like to see production. I believe that production should be shifted into the hands of organized work, workforces, before automation completely takes hold or we are fucked that's just my take i think if if we allow production to remain in the hands of capital into fully into the age of automation then we're screwed i don't you know i don't see how how parliaments are going to be able to fix that uh that's why i kind of lean in some ways towards syndicalism um but I'll send you those links on the Meidner plan and the yeah. social social yeah. funds. Jim, do you want to add anything? I'm curious. Yeah, so maybe I'll take it in this direction. So, like, um, what uh, what have you seen in terms of like tech workers, whether they be be working for tech companies or they work for banks or wherever? You know, uh, how often are they are they you know unionized? Um, is that is that common uh, from what you've seen, or is that something that is, uh, you know, it's sort of like it's co- much more common in other uh, sectors, I guess, or different types of work? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the sit- situation here uh, is and has been like for a very, very, very long time that almost everyone is a member of a union. Uh, and this is for like this isn't as good as it sounds because not <laughs> because like not all unions are what you might think about when you think of union. Like <laughs> Jim's so, making a face. Yeah, He's, Jim was actually in a union actually as a tech worker uh, okay. and is one of the few North Americans I think before the recent wave. But go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean okay. to. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> There are different experiences, uh, is what you're saying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, like, first of all, being in a union here uh, means that you'll be able to get uh, 80% of your pay if you're laid off for up to 18 months, I think. Like, it depends on what your pay is. It's up to a a certain amount, but it's, it's fairly high. So you'll be able to get like 80% of that monthly uh, for 18 months and then you run out of 
money. <laughs> but so that's a very that's a fa factor that makes it worth being a part of a union. But we have a lot of unions. Uh, most of them were, I mean, also something to be aware of and like an interesting tidbit is that the Social Democratic Party here was actually started by the unions. So a bunch yeah. of leftist unions got together and started a party. These leftist unions still exist as a collective of unions. And it's basically, it's um, like construction workers and like people who drive buses and like that sort of very quiet blue color labor. Uh, and then there are like unions that are for administrative people and tech workers, etc. cetera. Uh, and like, Maybe like half of the social democratic unions uh, do what they're actually there to do. Like they're there to uh, ensure that the workers have a decent like sit situation and like uh, are t treated fairly and can help out when when uh, when an an employer isn't treating the workers fairly. But half of them are actually actively participating in like uh, getting rid of some labor laws. They have yes, like become Christ. very much part of like the capital ro rather than the workers movement. And the tech unions are have never been like workers unions. They have always been like on the employer's side. So I'm actually part of both a tech union because there are technical reasons uh, that I have to be to actually get money if, I, if I'm laid off or become sick or whatever. But I'm also part of the syndicalist union. Are you really badass? Interesting. <laughs> so, very cool. So that's basically our version of the industri in, in, industrial workers of the world. And they have some rules that, like, you can't be a manager. Then you can't be in. Right. Like, yes. That no bosses in the union. At all. No. But, like, the other unions don't, don't have that at all. Right. Like, those rules don't exist. And in the tech unions, definitely not. Because <laughs> they're not—they're not unions. They're unions by name, but nothing else. You know? Fascinating. That's really—that's wow. really interesting. So, so the, these are like sector. I mean, well, so obviously the syndicalism union is its own thing, but like the other union is a sector union, or like how how are they how are they actually structured? Uh, yeah, I mean they are sector unions. Uh, to begin with, but then I'm guessing there are some, some like corner cases where where it's not exactly for a sector. But it's there is one union for construction workers and one that's that's called transport, which is drivers and things like that. And then there are like for medical workers and. Uh, there's a harbor union also, which, as you might understand from what I said earlier, is also quite badass. Uh, they are not, they are, I think, formally part of the Social Democratic Union collective, but everyone else there hates them because they actually take the fight. fight. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the things about our country, uh, about, sorry, my, my country, uh, is that it's not the because of the the structure of uh, the way elections work here. Um, neither of the parties really and and uh, have any claim to uh, to labor. Uh, and ironically, the the one that does have 
the closest claim is the Republican Party because it was founded among uh, free labor advocates uh, and anti-slavery uh, activists in the 1850s, um, which is something that partisan hacks like Karl Rove love to love to scream about. But we don't, you know, like the SPD, I believe the SPD in Germany also uh, explicitly grew out of unions. Like the unions predated the party and then the party rested largely on the foundation of these unionized workers. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Interesting. That's very interesting. I'm so glad that our first guest got to be, was a syndicalist. I, that just, that's. Yeah, that's Daniel's very happy about day. that. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm happy about that too, of course. Um. <laughs> I think uh, I think you should probably come over here for like a May first celebration. Oh my god, I'd love to. Because uh, there are syndicalist uh, May first parades in like six or seven cities here. Wow, that's incredible. That's so cool. Um, wow. So, because you're in Sweden, I have to ask this question. It's not related to tech at all, but I, I absolutely have to know. So, uh, you know, you say that oh, no. Sweden is a social democratic uh, country, but like according to Fox News, it's a libertarian paradise with the with the coronavirus. So, like, what uh, what is actually uh, right. what is actually <laughs> the truth, uh, Andreas? Um, okay, so. And of First course, of when all, I say libertarian, Sweden I mean the is, American definition yeah. of libertarian, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Let's get that yeah. out of the way. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, it's true that we have all the freedoms. Uh, no, but uh, I know that our corona strategy has been uh, talked about a lot. And uh, uh, the truth is that we have had like we didn't shut down a lot of things like we we implemented like temporary rules for like bars and restaurants and um some things basically shut down because they were like state or city owned and it wouldn't look good if something that is like if an amusement park that is city owned is kept open that looks bad so those were shut down and like a lot of like movie theaters and things like 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 that they chose for themselves to like we we're not gonna make enough money if we like have to like only have half full theaters but like the rest like our schools haven't been closed like at all i think our uh what's the equivalent like uh high schools closed for a while uh but uh but then you know we they implemented like a remote classes and i think they're back in school like physically now but like for younger kids nothing was closed so I have no idea if this strategy was good, but I can honestly say that, like, uh, the the virus has, like, it, it it hasn't had a lot of effect on people. I I'm, I mean, people have gotten sick and everything, but like, I don't know anyone who has caught it. Like, which is really weird. I, I yeah. can't really ex, ex, explain it, but like, and, and we have a lot of testing. Like, right. I've, I've been tested because I was sick. Uh, I, I got an appointment to get tested like 50 meters from where I live. And it took like two days to get the appointment and then it took three days to get the the result so mm. it was it was pretty effective and that's the experience that i've heard from other people too uh, so it's it's really hard when you're living in it to be like what's going on like it's really hard and like i read this 
statistics like ev- everyone else, but like I, it's it's like I've gotten numbers blind. I can't really like tell what it what it says. Is this good? Is this bad? Right. What's what can I measure it against? Like so, how's the situation in 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 the U.S.? Because I hear a lot about that too, but it's also really hard to in, interpret because like it's such a different yeah well and i think the thing that you and there are so many parts the the thing that's crazy is you have like so i used to uh, like i used to i've done pandemic planning i I did pandemic planning in canada so i kind of like know a little bit about how it's supposed to in theory work it doesn't always you know part of that type of planning is it never works the way you think it's going to work and you try to like learn from it um but you know that's also like the healthcare system you know there is a public health system in canada and there's a public health system in every country as far as i can tell in europe uh, from what i've seen uh i'm i'm not convinced that any state in the in the us actually has what anybody in canada or the, or europe or australia would consider like a public health system you know like i i honestly right. like as i sat through this whole thing i was just like i want to know who is the person who is responsible for making these decisions and these determinations and stuff and like you know who is the body that is supposed to be responsible for this and like there didn't seem to be one and i think you know if there's anything i've learned you know there's so many things you could learn from the from the from the situation that has happened in the states but like i think it really is like a healthcare issue of like we do not do public health in this country we do not uh do preventative care or you know have a way for people to like if they're not feeling well we don't provide a way for them to take days off because no employers are mandated to give their their people sick sick leave um barbarous you know there's just you know so part of what was going to be my questions were like when you get sick in sweden you're you're on your own for uh you know those days off of course right and uh, your your employer is not required to give you any any sick time and uh you know your healthcare costs uh many millions of dollars i'm sure it's a joke uh, it's a joke by the way oh yeah, yeah okay <laughs> yeah cuz yeah. cuz i've yeah. heard that it, that sweden is the is the free market at work uh but then i hear words like right. rules and expectations and i don't know about that right 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 yeah um yeah sorry my dry sense of humor is, is sometimes hard to it's okay <laughs> hard to sense yeah <laughs> okay but like something that actually happened because we have a system here where when you get sick you don't get any money the first day of sickness. That's like an, a, a totally unpaid day, and then you 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 get uh, um, and then 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 you get eighty percent of of your salary for the remaining days from the from something called like the insurance register or something, which is a a government uh, branch. Or a, a, a government uh, function, uh, and this is for uh, for like one week, and after that you you need like a a note from a doctor mm. uh, to to like actually show that yes you are sick. So what they did uh, was that they they made that into. Th- three weeks so now you can be sick without having like proof for three weeks which is very nice Uh, but they also said that they were going to remove that first day so you get paid for all the days Uh, but what they actually did was that they made it possible to apply to have that day removed, but they didn't tell any, any, mm. any, any, anyone that. And there's 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 a lot of paperwork. You have to like actually print papers and sign them, right. like send them physically. So they know that people aren't going to do it, but it looked really good when they did it. And that was like 
that was such a ridiculous thing because everyone was like, finally, because a lot of people have been saying that that should just be removed permanently. That's a really shitty thing to have because people who don't make a lot of money, they can't afford a day without pay. Like, like, so right. they're going to go to work even if they're sick. So, but, so then they did it, but they really didn't. Uh, and that was kind of, that was, and that actually brings me into, into something that I wanted to take up. Uh, and that is like, you all know how like politics these days are like super polarized, like, uh, politicians seem to spend most of their time like insulting each other. That's basically all they do. And like this whole pandemic thing has, of course, be become very politicized. Like right. uh, it's, it's, it's really easy to accuse the ones in, in power for handling the pandemic badly regardless of how it's handled, because no one actually knows what to expect. Uh, and would you think that if this had happened like uh, in a different political uh, setting, do, do you think that the reactions to, to how, it's, how it's been handled or even how it's, how it's handled, do you think that would have been differently? And like you mean in terms of leadership uh, or in terms of political system or like what what ways do you mean um, different? Uh, I mean like if 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 we like so, say that this would happen in a relatively quiet uh, political area, like let's say when Obama was re re uh, elected, which seemed to be like there wasn't a lot of sh shouting going on like do you think the pandemic would have been handled differently like because i i'm guessing that you know public opinion and like politicians trying to like put each other on 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 the spot all, sure. all the time also affects how things are actually done because everything has to do with something else so let me jump on this one uh I think there's a couple there's a couple answers there. I, I or more than a couple really, but I'll stick to two. The first is let's let's take out what what would it have been like in twenty twelve with Barack Obama reelected or on the path to reelection against Mitt Romney. Uh I kind of think that the things that we're seeing with Gretchen Whitmer, which is this uh the governor of Michigan, she uh oh, yeah. Yeah. So that terrorist plot, which it was a terrorist plot, uh, I think that those would have multiplied tenfold. Um, but I think that there's one of the things I think is kind of bizarre, and I am not a Clinton fan of either of the Clintons at all. Um, I think that we would have, there would be less people dead, and we would also have seen higher rates of terrorism because people would have absolutely... So, okay, let me give you a little flavor of where I live and what it's like where I live. I live in a smallish town uh, southwest of, of Fort Worth, uh, Fort Worth, Dallas, which is this monstrosity of a metroplex in the north of Texas. And the county that I live in uh, is, is one of the most Republican in the state. And it's it's got a lot of crazy people in it. Uh, it's not all crazy people. There are many incredible, beautiful people in this county that I live in. Uh, there are many people who do not believe what I believe and are still sane. Um, but there are a number of really fucking crazy people here. And whenever this happened, whenever the pandemic first broke, all right, and these, these I've followed a little bit in Europe, uh, the, uh, in Germany, um, but the anti-lockdown protests that happened here were fucking crazy. They were crazy, Andreas. There was, there was a paramilitary group in the country that incidentally started the first year of Barack Obama's uh, presidency called the Oath Keepers. 
and it is current and former law enforcement officials and military and supposedly firefighters, which I'm sure there are some, but it's mostly law enforcement and military. And they're crazy people. They're like the John Birch Society. They think that the gays and the blacks and the Jews are all going to come and take everything from the good white Christian people uh, and starting with their guns. And those people have power in my community. And there was actually almost a shootout between the Oath Keepers. The Oath Keepers like, ra basically raised a posse and uh, a local gym owner who did not want to close, um, basically let them hang out in his parking lot with semi-automatic rifles. And the police department came to revoke their certification of occupation so that they couldn't operate anymore. And the cops got there and saw that there were fucking crazy Oath Keepers with you know, semi-automatic rifles waiting for them and they called it. They said, we're not going to do this. And there were a number, you can see the videos. There were a number of protests online in my town square. Um, and people were just fucking unhinged. The idea that wearing a mask is some tyrannical, you know, uh, imposition of martial law is fucking batshit. I, you know, I'm not an epidemiologist. I'm not a virologist. I'm not any kind of biologist. But... It kind of makes sense to me that one of the reasons that Japan and some of the other Asian countries have had, and Japan didn't lock down the way that South Korea has or New Zealand did, uh, but that Japan has had as low numbers as it had, has had is because mask wearing is normalized there. And it's not seen as some effeminate, you know, uh, compromise with masculinity and the state and God knows what else. Um yeah, and I think I think there's I don't know. Yeah, I I think there's I totally agree, and I think that you know if Obama had been president or Hillary Clinton had been president, I think there is a uh, a good probability that you would have had the same number of dead people because people would have pushed back harder against whatever the president said, and I I don't even know that Absolutely. it would be a lower number. I uh, you know so. You know, because I mean, I do know Republicans who wear masks, uh, and it's not controversial. But I also think that they would probably be the types of people that would push back if a Democrat was telling if them, Clinton. you know, if Clinton right. was telling them, you know. So it's it's a tough uh, it's a tough situation we we have here, and uh, you know, it's it's culture, you know, very much so as like you know how it is in Asia, it's culture here, it's culture. Europe, there's a culture of like shared. I think there's a culture of you know. I'm responsible for to some extent to what happens to the people around me, you know, which I don't think is present here, you know. So yeah, yeah, interesting. Uh, I hadn't thought about it like that. I I know a little bit about like I'm I I know quite a bit about the oath keepers actually because like. Are you serious? Wow. Those, those kind of like uh, fringe white power-ish groups are like a pet peeve and has been for a long time. So I read for a sure. lot about, about that. Uh, and I also like I, I for some reason have learned a lot about like uh, s s small Nazi groups in Quebec over the last mm. couple of years. Yeah, so yeah. That's also the, mi the migration crisis has sparked a lot of that, hasn't right. it? Uh, yeah, it has, and like, uh, like the uh, the francophone part of Canada has a very like Europe patriotic thing, mm -hmm. also, which like they 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 often turn to when they feel like like that European culture is under attack it's really weird but that's how it goes yeah it does go like that sometimes so i <laughs> so let's uh i gotta uh, i'm curious because i, I want to squeeze it in w what are the perceptions right now of uh american foreign policy 
that that you see that you witness over there in Europe, um, like the trade war that Trump has sparked, uh, and you know the very selling, or just in general. I mean, you you tell me. I'm, I'm curious. Um, I think it's I think it's pretty mixed. Uh, I mean, you have. Uh, I mean, I mean because under Trump, the U.S. hasn't really behaved the way it's done traditionally. There has been some like significant, like weird stuff, uh, and so I think people are a little bit like they don't know really what to think because like. Uh, the U.S. has actually done some some stuff that I thought was pretty good. I am like I am an anti-imperialist at heart, but I also recognize that it just pulling out of everywhere doesn't really work either. That could like cause a lot of uh, uh, a lot of harm. So when when the the us were actually aiding the kurds in battling isis in yes. northeast syria that was kind of a that was kind of a it was hard to right right to think about that because you couldn't really think about it in in the way that you like wanted to you have to like okay but this is a good thing and right. And then they abandoned them. Right. Mm -hmm. But that's a and that was more like okay, now we recognize this this shit. But th there has been a lot of those uh, moments. I feel where you've been like, wait, is this is this good? Yeah, and like the North. I, I unreservedly right. Uh, I think that Donald Trump doesn't give a fuck about North Korea, the Korean Peninsula at all. Uh, I don't think that he has any understanding of the history or the horror that uh, our country, my country, has inflicted on the Korean Peninsula. But uh, ending that war is important, right? Uh, yeah. Demilitarizing and allowing for the reunification, which is widely popular across Korea, allowing for the reunification of the Korean Peninsula. We should all salute that. We should support that. Um doesn't mean I want to, you know, I doesn't mean I want to support Trump because he did it. But if if we're going to look around and say, is there anything at all that this horrifying fucking creature has done in the world that, you know, might elicit some mild praise? Yeah. For me personally, watching and watching the political class here, right, try and deal with that and process that was illuminating very illuminating uh because there are a lot of there are a lot of hawks here who like to pretend they're doves who like to pretend that they care about peace and when this moron tried to use that that pain as an election shit but in a way that might actually have had positive impacts they lost their minds yeah i think um i i think there is an there is an, another element also to this that like no one is going to say that like we should wage more war we should not end wars we should you know kill more people <laughs> people aren't going to say that because everyone knows that you can't say that that's wrong <laughs> like but at the same time the the US army is like the third biggest employer in the world so right. If there are no wars to, to, to wage, there's gonna be economic consequences, right? And so that's not good. So they need to like keep that machine moving too. Yes. No. One hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Here in North. Uh, so we, you've been super generous with your, with your time, uh, Andreas. I just want to ask a little bit more, one more question before we let you go. Uh, and you know, you can say whatever you want about, uh, how people can, uh, get in contact with you or follow you on, uh, the various platforms that you'd like to talk about. But I guess my last question is sort of like, uh, what, 
you know what what do you think about the election that's going on here and uh what what do you hope for america going forward and great, uh you know great question. the perception of america from abroad uh oh wow this is this this is a pretty big question it's like <laughs> so first of all this election like it's it's basically one of the most insane things in politics in like big politics i've ever seen and like we're not even there yet right uh, but like as everyone i know i i i i hope trump loses uh I don't really hope that Biden wins, but I hope, but I, but I hope, but I hope Trump loses. Um, and I also hope that the U.S. is ready for what happens then, because Trump isn't just gonna disappear. And like everything that he sort of embodies, there is sort of a notion. I feel that. If we can just get rid of this person, we can go back to normal. And that sort of implies that Trump is the reason why things are as they are. But that is not the case. Like, right, right. You, like he has definitely made, made like white nationalists like all, all over the world more emboldened. Yes. And they feel like they have someone powerful who is at their side. But that movement was already growing. It didn't like pop up because of Trump. It started in the US. It really took off under Obama. Right. Uh, which, you know, makes perfect sense right. when you think about it. So I, I just hope that like the US is actually ready to deal with the consequences of Trump, like either way, there's going to be consequences. Yeah. If 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 he wins, he's gone going to start thinking even more about himself as the U.S. Putin yes. equivalent, and he's going to try: how can I actually stick around? Like, or how can I make sure my people gets to actually stick around? And if he loses, there's going to be like a completely other kind of hell. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I just hope people are ready to actually deal with that. And it's not going to be like, hey, yay, we won and now it's Obama in USA again, which wasn't that good either. But <laughs> people seem to think about it. <laughs> that way so I, I i just hope that people because there's been so much people actually getting organized and actually taking the fight to in 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 various ways and i i just hope that people keep doing that and not stop because like we've gotten over this hurdle and now it's happy sailing because it's not going to be that anywhere I am so glad to, I'm not glad, obviously, but I am glad to hear you say that because it's something that Jim and I both very much believe and are mentally and emotionally coping with ourselves and preparing. Um, you know, I, yes, I agree. I, it, it sounded almost like you were, you were getting ready for the general strike with us, comrade. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll absolutely. <laughs> All right, workers of the world unite. Excellent. All right, Andreas Lind. Right. What, how can uh, people uh, follow you or get or uh, contact you if, if uh, they have uh, more to say to you or you to them? Uh, I guess Twitter will be best, uh, and my handle is uh, Adelind. Uh, a d d e l i n d h. A silent H gets so, you every time. Awesome. All right. <laughs> well, thank you, Andreas, thank you so for your much time. For we really appreciate time it. With us. That was that was great. Thank you.